You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Here's what we're talking about. All this month, we're, we're calling this topic God and Money, or Money and God. And it's this, this month to help you understand the philosophy behind money and spending and saving and earning, um, as, as well as the bigger picture of what God can do in your life through money. So last week we had Bobby, who gave us a great uh, philosophical idea of money and, and, and spending and this juxtaposition of like giving up everything you own is what Jesus calls us to do. And then using money for God's sake and then like being blessed financially, these two things that are both in the Bible. And that was awesome. So this week we get to have Amy Streeter come and and talk to us today. And Amy worked at New Life for five years as the, how many of you all recognize Amy? Anybody? Oh, lots of you. Awesome. So Amy, uh, did, was the Financial Peace University teacher, coach, person at New Life. She taught that course for years, five years, and she was the person at New Life who was over benevolence, which means that if, if you ever or if someone ever came to the church and said, just need help financially, have nowhere else to turn, they would meet with Amy. And so, and so Amy would help them through that circumstance, and not just, I think sometimes the worst thing we can do with people is just hand them money. Like, oh, here's some money, see you later. But Amy would coach them through, find out like why uh, they're in that position and what's the underlining problem in their life that's, that's led them to this moment and really coach them through um, that um, transition. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, Amy Streeter. <laughs> Good morning, my name is Amy Streeter. I am here in front of you today because I have made every single financial mistake you can possibly make, and I have lived to tell about it. I am still married to the same man that I was married to 17 years ago. I have three beautiful children. We have two cars. We have a lovely home. We love the Lord. We all speak to each other. There's no screaming in our house. We have cats and dogs and friends and a life, and we get to go out to eat and go on vacations, and do all of the things that when you're in your 20s, and you think about what is life going to be like in my 40s, we have that. Now, the only reason we have that is because I happen to be the daughter of a loving and merciful and gracious God who, over the course of seven years, covered some of the most embarrassing financial mistakes anyone has ever made, ever. (laughs) So I'm not up here in front of you because I'm smart and because I have all the answers and because I have this wonderful financial education, which I do now. I have a PhD in what not to do with your money. (laughs) And because we serve a loving and gracious God, he has allowed me the gift of a platform to share what I know with other people. So I consider it an extreme privilege to be in front of you this morning Because according to the world's standards and according to the mistakes and the choices that we made, we should be broke and divorced and homeless and just a hot mess. Now, I will tell you that I know a lot of people who are doing extraordinarily well financially when you look at them on the surface. I used to be one of those people. Ten years ago, my little much skinnier redheaded self was driving a top-of-the-line Toyota Explorer back and forth to my job as an investigative newspaper reporter where I made 
a ridiculous amount of money because I was very good at what I did. And in my car, I had my twin babies and their designer onesies and my four-year-old in the private preschool. And we lived in the Foofy neighborhood in a Dallas-Fort Worth suburb. Any of you from Texas, we lived in Grapevine. Holla, anybody know Grapevine? And we didn't just live in Grapevine. We lived in one of the good neighborhoods in Grapevine. And we lived on a very nice street in one of the very good neighborhoods in Grapevine. And I had a two-story brick traditional home with a huge pool in the back that had the pebble tech texture. So when you look at it from your floor-to-ceiling windows, it looks like a natural body of water. It doesn't look like an icky chlorine pool. And we had an elevated hot tub with a waterfall. So the water from the hot tub flowed into the pool. So if you got a little cool while you were swimming in the Texas sun, you could swim over towards the hot tub or you could get in the hot tub. It was lovely. We had a nanny. We went to Paris for two and a half weeks, got an apartment, took our nanny. Do you hate me now? (sighs) Pretty obnoxious stuff. But that's what we think we want, right? And everybody, and I knew, oh, I knew a lot of financial stuff. I mean, when I was 16 and I got Glamour magazine in the mail, Money Magazine was right behind it. I've always been interested in finances, always been interested in money. We had investments. We had our 401k with our match. You know, I thought I'd had this money stuff down. And one day, driving back from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, in my $55,000 SUV, in my Ellen Tracy suit that I picked up at Neiman Marcus, I listened to a sermon, and in a moment, God lifted the veil off of my eyes on what I was doing. Because like a lot of you, I grew up in the church. Every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night, Wednesdays, Wednesday night, anybody grew up in a church small enough that had a fellowship dinner? Praise the Lord, I missed the fellowship dinner. I grew up in the church. I went to private Christian schools. In English class, we diagrammed Bible verses instead of regular English sentences. So it wasn't a lack of biblical education. It wasn't a lack of, you know, spiritual maturity, I thought it was. Um, It was just, it was culture. It was simply... My beliefs about who I was and who God created created me to be, that voice was so much quieter when you compared it to the voice of the culture. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have friends who tell us, well, you don't want to study that. You want to study this because you're going to make more money. Well, yeah, that education is going to cost more, so you need to borrow the money. Student loans are not a big deal. Everybody has them. You'll pay them off your first year or two after school. That, my friends, is a big, fat lie. So much of what you hear and what you're surrounded with every single day will, over time, erode the foundation that God plants in your heart as a child. I called you out. I selected you. Here is who you are, and here is who I created you to be. That needs to be the loudest voice in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit as you go through your life. Otherwise, those tidal waves of cultural changes, expectations, peer pressure, we all think we're bigger than peer pressure, right? We're not. 
they all start to wash you away. So I'm here today to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to make money very, very small for you. Money must be a big topic, right? Do you know the Bible references money and possessions more than any other topic but love? Dr. Joe's calling you out to spend a whole month talking about God and money. Must be a pretty big deal, right? It is, but it is only because we get it wrong. Is heart disease a big deal to you if you don't have it? Not really. I mean, you may pray for someone who has it. You may think about it. You may go, all right, I'll have one less cheeseburger a week so I don't have that when I'm older. (laughs) But if you don't have it, it's not a big deal. If you don't have money, it becomes a bigger deal. If you have a lot of money, it becomes a very, very, very big deal. Some of the most miserable people in the world are people who don't have enough money. Some of the most miserable people in the world are people who have extraordinarily large amounts of wealth and never have to think about it. Some of the happiest people in the world are people who have not two dimes to rub together. And some of the happiest people in the world have so much money that they can write a check to do anything they want and never have to think about it. What is the difference? Anybody want to take a guess? It's how you feel about money. It's how you feel about yourself. It's how you feel about God. It's the identity that you have about who God created you to be. If you lock that down, it will never again matter how much money you have. It will never again affect you when you're having a hard time figuring out how to pay for something. It will never again fill you with pride when someone has a need and you can, whoops, I'm going to swoop in and save the day and pay for it. And then you walk around puffed up like a fool for a month because you did something that God called you to do anyway. I know everyone's thinking, I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) Excuse me. Before I pray, I haven't even gotten started yet, guys. Before I pray, I want to read you a scripture. This is out of Luke. We're in chapter 8. And this is the parable of the sower. And I want to start with this because of all the parables in the Bible, this is the one that messes me up the most. I can never get comfortable with this parable. It convicts me. It messes me up. And just so you guys know, last night at 10 o'clock, I was polishing up this little presentation that I've known all week I was going to show to you guys. And I was reading it last night at 10 o'clock. I realized that is not what we're going to do tomorrow. So a lot of this is just the Holy Spirit going, You have your plans. Okay. All right. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe it and be saved. But The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root. Who believe for a while and at the time of temptation fall away? Has that happened to anybody before? Look at all you liars in church. Has that happened to anybody before? Thank you. I'm from Texas and I'm a mama. I'm going to call every single one of you out if you're not paying attention. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. If you get a seed and you don't plant it and you do nothing with it, does it do you a bit of good? Had you might as well have spent your time at Starbucks this morning reading People magazine? Absolutely. 
But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. We all have a responsibility. Every time God takes the time to plant a seed in our hearts, we have a responsibility to nurture it, to feed it, to cover it up with healthy soil so that it can grow. If you come into church on Sunday mornings and you kind of listen and then you go on about your day and you never turn around what you learn, you never till that soil, you never water those seeds, they're going to die. And I'm going to tell you something that I hope messes you up a little bit. You are accountable to the Lord for every single seed he plants in you that you let wither and die. Did I make anybody uncomfortable just now? That makes me really uncomfortable all the time because I think how many times that I listen to a sermon and think that was really good and then I went out to lunch with my family and I never thought about it again I'm going to be accountable for those seeds that I let die every seed is a treasure that's not to say lean in and focus on my every word and take good notes because I am going no this is a holy spirit moment that I want you to have and I really feel like I felt called last night to toss my presentation out of the way because I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something to you and your youth so you don't go through the garbage that I went through. So you don't have near misses with losing homes and cars and having overwhelming credit card debt. I don't want you to live that near miss kind of life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just submit this morning to your will and to your words. God, you are so powerful. And you own everything. You own the cattle on a thousand hills and you own the hills. And Father, we thank you that you trust us with portions of what you have. Father, we don't take that responsibility lightly. And so Father, today I just pray that every single heart will be fertile ground. Every mind will be open. And Father, I just pray that divine seeds that you have called into being will be planted, will be fostered, will be watered and that no one in this room will know the pain of lack. Father, I thank you that at whatever level financially you have called us to be, we are all your children. And God, I pray that you take me out of the way this morning. Don't let anything that I say or think or my experiences get in the way of what you're doing this morning. God, I submit to you and your words and your will. And I pray that every heart and mind in this room is submitted to you and your ways and your will. Father, we, ex- we are excited to hear from you today. Thank you for letting me be a part of what you're doing. We love you. We praise you. We exalt the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, now let's get started. So I said, I'm here to make money very small for you. So whenever we're looking at making a big decision, um, or even a little decision, when you're in a restaurant looking at a menu... And you think, that looks good. What's the next thing you look at after what? The price. How much is it? When you're contemplating what school you choose, what's the first question you ask? How much does it cost? If you're thinking about going on vacation, and you're thinking about where to go, how how come we don't just all blindly go to New Zealand every summer? Because of what it costs. Let me tell you one more thing that's going to scare you this morning. One of you is going to come up here and is going to give a presentation to close this out. So I hope you're all fully engaged. You're going to draw pictures. 
So now I want to ask you a question. What if you could go through your life not having to ask that question? And this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't that everybody wants God. Every, God wants everybody to be rich. He did not call all of us to be rich. He called some of you to the wilds of Africa to live in a hut on the same $2, what is it, $2.18 a day that those people. But he didn't call all of us to that. He called some of us to have millions of dollars so that we can bless other people with it. I know Pastor Bobby talked to you guys last week about giving it all away. It's, it's not unrighteous to build wealth. Money is a tool. It's like a hammer. It's like a brick. It's not inherently evil. First Timothy chapter 6 doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So if you know, and we all, I think, have a general idea. Now, do not hear what I'm saying to mean, I grew up poor, I'll always be poor. That's not what I'm saying. I grew up pretty poor. My father died when I was four, mighty man of God, missionary, police officer, theology student. He had, he's got two, he had two pieces of paper. He had a his uh, theology degree, and he had his uh, police officer certification. And those were the two things. And that and his collection of Bibles were the proudest things that he owned. Of all the things that he owned, he was most proud of those things. He died when I was four. My mom left when I was six. My grandmother raised me on her Social Security income and what limited income she had while she was working. She quit when I was 13, and when I grew up and wised up a little bit, I said, why did you retire at 13? You could have kept working and made some more money and been a lot more comfortable, she said, because you needed me more at 13 than you did at 3. Wise woman. And she knew that we would make it somehow, and she raised me on her Social Security incomes. And I, so I grew up in a rough part of Houston with not a whole lot of money. And a lot of that, a lot of the choices that I made later were trying to counteract that, trying to say, well, I can do better. Because, you know, that's, hey, we're Americans, right? We do better than the generation before. That's the expectation, right? some of the poorest people I know are some of the happiest people I know, and I didn't get that until a little bit later in life. But if you can go through life not having to worry about what things cost, not because you don't have the money or because you have so much, but because of the choices that you've made and because of your identity in Christ and because you know this is who you are, you can grow up and, I mean, you guys have all heard of the rich kids who go off and, live and, and go serve in the impoverished countries. I mean, that is a viable call in your life from God, as is being a person of extraordinarily, extraordinary wealth that helps other people fund. It's all a cycle, and all we have to do is understand where we fit in the cycle. Maybe God has called you to give everything away. Maybe God has called you to raise $15 million and give it away. Maybe God has called you to raise $15 million and put it away because when you die, your kids are the ones with the plan. We don't always know, but we feel like... Please raise your hand if you don't understand what I'm saying here. But how many of you feel like there's some current in your life, some direction, some place that God is calling you and driving you to? There's some current. There's some... You have some idea of the direction that God wants you to go. And you have some idea of whether you're going to be a person of wealth 
or if you're going to be a person of more modest means. And let me tell you something. The whole notion that one is better than the other is a lie. And it is a lie from the pits of hell. Because if you don't manage the money right, you will be so miserable, your soul will cry out to be the person of limited means. So if you can go through life not constantly aspiring to be something that God did not create you to be, you will be a happy person. Did anybody get a little nugget of that? If you can be okay with who God created you to be, at whatever station, if God called you to be a school teacher, praise the Lord. Is there a greater gift than spending time with children and bringing them up in the image of Christ? If God called you to be a school teacher, are you going to have $50 million in the bank at 35? No. Is that okay? Yes. Let's stop expecting what the culture demands and let's expect what's consistent with the experience of what God has called us to do and live our lives accordingly. If you know what God has called you to do, be okay with it. Just be okay with it. Live in a neighborhood with other school teachers. Drive a car that's right in the middle of what you see in the parking lot of that elementary school. Don't be inconsistent with your expectations. Don't think, I'm an elementary school teacher, but my sister, who's a CPA, has a BMW. I need a BMW. No, you don't. And when you capture ideas of things that are not consistent with who you are and who God created you to be, you're buying unhappiness. All of the truly happy people in this world, regardless of what they do and how much money they have in the bank, are happy because they're not constrained by money. I want you to write three things down. Four things. Because I, I just thought of another one. And I get to do that. <clears throat> you and God define what God has called you to be. How many of you have heard of Carrie Job? I know Carrie. I was on staff at Gateway Church with Carrie. She is precious. Now, here's a story about Carrie Jo that a lot of you don't know. When she was in college, her music teacher told her she would never be a worship leader. She would never be a recording artist because her voice wasn't strong enough. And it's really hard to make it in worship as a female artist, and you don't have what it takes. Did Carrie let that stop her? Praise God she didn't. When God tells you to do something, do not let anyone talk you out of it. I'm going to say that one more time. When God calls you to do something, do not let anyone talk you out of it. Now, I'm going to tell you something else that's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Every single day in this church, in every church in America, well-intentioned Christians get an impulse, they get a desire, and they put God's name on it. You can run around all day long saying, God told me, doesn't make it so. You need to be discerning enough to know in your heart, is this something I want or is this something that God has called, us, has called me to do? When God called me to leave my very high-paying job that I loved at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram where I got to make politicians very uncomfortable and I got to wear very nice suits, and he called me to take a staggering pay cut 
and go on staff at a church. I never, I was not one of those people who grew up and said, I want to work in the church. I grew up saying, man, those people work really hard, and I don't think I want a piece of that. (laughs) People, Christians yell. Did you know that? So when God called me to that, I, you know, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I got some of my good friends together, some of my best friends, and most of them had ministry families. None of them were pastors, but most of them had aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents. Most of them were multi-generational people that I grew up with, multi-generational church attenders, grounded in the word, loved the Lord. And I got them together because I wanted some wisdom, and I said, here's what I feel like God's called me to do. And every single one of them said, you're crazy. And I did it anyway because it's what God called me to do. And I was blessed in that. Now, I've had other times in my life where I've said, I really want to do that, and I just think this is what God has for me. There's a difference. I really want to do it, and I think this is what God has for me is different than waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning and God told you something that made your toes curl up into your PJs. There's a difference. When God calls you to do something, it's likely going to make you very uncomfortable. And that's okay. Know the difference. But when you know, don't let anybody call you out of it. So you and God define who you are and what you're called to do. You set your goals with God's help. Don't let the culture define what your goals are. Don't let your friends tell you that your car is not good enough. Don't let your friends tell you that you don't live in a good enough neighborhood. Number three is you set your pace. Wow, you're 29 and you're not married yet? Wow, you're 35 and you don't own a home and have a 401k and an SUV? Wow, how many of you have heard anything like that? Wow, you're 22 and you're still not out of school? That's a fun one. And number three is you choose your lifestyle. You and God choose your lifestyle. Again, if you're an elementary school teacher, God bless you. Live a lifestyle that befits an elementary school teacher. If you're not the CEO, don't drive the same car that he does. One of the, one of the little mini feathers of reality that fluttered down before I hit the wall and changed my financial life was one of my editors saying, man, you drive a nicer car than I do. And I'm like, that was stupid. (laughs) By clue, Amy. After providing a home and basic needs for your family, the only things that you can buy that will mean anything to you, and I want you to write these things down, there are two things that you can buy that will mean anything at all once you've provided for your basic needs for your family. And that's freedom and generosity. Nothing else will phase you for the rest of your life except for those two things. You cannot buy health. You cannot buy love. You sure cannot buy peace. Now, what do I, what do I mean when I say buying freedom? Freedom. How many of you know someone who has a job that they hate? How many of you have a job that you hate? Why do you stay? Because you need the paycheck, right? What if you didn't need the paycheck? Now, you don't have to be, you're thinking, okay, but what if I'm the elementary school teacher, I'm always going to need the paycheck. No, you're not. If you live in a way that's consistent 
that's honorable, if you have a modest lifestyle that's consistent with the career that God has called you to, and you need to walk away, and God calls you to walk away, you will be able to walk away. True story. Married couple. He comes back from serving overseas, and he gets certified to be an electrician. And he marries a hairdresser. Are these wealthy people? They love each other. They struggle to conceive. They struggle to conceive. They struggle to conceive. The cry of their heart to God is to have a child. They spend a whole lot of what limited resources they have on medical bills to have a baby. Are these wealthy people? No. Every day he goes to work. Every day she goes to work. And they buy a modest, tiny little home in a neighborhood that a lot of their friends told them, you don't want to buy in that neighborhood. Are these wealthy people? No. So they set about their lives in their tiny little house with their little miracle baby and their medical bills, and she starts clipping coupons. And he says no to a lot of things that he would like to have. And she clips a few more coupons, and he works a few more hours of overtime. And, I mean, these are struggling people, right? You would look at them and just be like, oh, you know. <clears throat> well, they do this again and again and again. And every time he gets an overtime check, every time she gets an extra client and does an extra haircut that she wasn't expecting that wasn't in the budget, they put that money aside. When it gets big enough, they throw it at their mortgage. It gets big enough again, they throw it at their mortgage. They pay off that house in two years. Two years, they own that tiny little house that their friends told them not to buy. They own it outright. Are these wealthy people? No, but getting better. How many of you own a house outright? I don't. Okay. So they buy another house, a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. Their friends are like, man, you own that one free and clear. You ought to sell it and roll that money and go over there and... They move into a slightly nicer neighborhood. They do the same thing again. Now, these people, let me just tell you something. They are boring. (laughs) They're not going on vacation. Their cars farting black dust on the interstate. (laughs) It takes her three hours to go grocery shopping with all of her coupons, and God help you if you get in line behind her at the cash register. They're buying, you know consignment and goodwill clothes for their miracle baby, but they buy another house and they do it again. They pay it off in two years. Only this time, while they were paying that one off, they had someone living in the first house paying them rent. So they're collecting rent on the house that they own outright, and they're living in the second house. They pay that one off in two years. They move into a slightly nicer house. Once again, the chorus of friends, oh my goodness, you have to buy. No, we don't. They buy a slightly nicer house, and they do the same thing again. This is so boring. Clipping, coupons, raising the baby, going to work, paying off the house. By the time they get to the fifth house, they're collecting rent on four homes. They're only eight years into this thing. All of a sudden, they're looking a lot more interesting to their friends. Because they have some choices. Let me tell you guys, smart financial decisions are always, always, always boring. They're boring. There's nothing exciting about saving money until 
you're 25 and you have $10,000 in the bank. That's pretty stinking exciting. Buying your first home is exciting. Way after you forgot about the vacation to Panama City Beach with your friends, take that $2,000 for Pete's sake and do the boring thing and set it aside and do something with your life that's consistent with who God created you to be. This is not rocket science. I don't have a finance degree. I have a journalism degree. But I also have $100,000 in paid-off credit card debt in my rearview mirror, and I have about $120,000 in equity in a home that's way nicer than we deserve because we waited and we prayed and we got a really good deal. It's not terribly exciting. I'm not going to jump up and down and say, you know what? I'm a licensed real estate agent now. And I'm not going to come in here and say, make millions in real estate. No, that's stupid. Unless you have cash, don't go buying stuff that you can't afford. It's dumb. This stuff is really, really simple. I'm here to tell you it's really simple. Don't let your friends make it harder than it is. Don't listen to Susie Orman. She's an idiot. Do you know that Susie Orman gets paid by the FICO people? Do you know that? She gets more money from the Fair Isaac Corporation than she does from MSNBC or whatever hoo-ha channel she's on. That's why she gets up there and goes, FICO, 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 because they're paying her. The rich dad, poor dad guy filed bankruptcy last year. Don't listen to these people. They're stupid. The only person out there who has a head on his shoulders is Dave Ramsey. I love Dave Ramsey. He's a great guy. And you know what? He's boring. (laughs) He's so boring. And people get mad at him and they don't like to listen to him because he says the same thing over and over again. And you know what? It works. Okay, if I come up off the floor, you guys have permission to take this, okay? But not until I'm actually levitating. That's the rule. So, back to our little boring couple. So, when they hit the fifth house, they had already predetermined, the two of them, the kind of lifestyle that they wanted to have. And when they hit house number five, they said, this is it. We're going to stay. This is our home until we die. They paid that house off in a year because they were collecting rent on four others. Never quit. She kept clipping hair. He kept going to work. Sweet people. Wonderful people. And I'd like to say, you know, there's a wonderful happy ending. There were happy pieces to this, to this family's life. A couple of really cool things they got to do. Um, a young man in their church um, from a very, very, very um, impoverished family and had just been through nightmares that most of us can't fathom felt like the Lord had called him to, sem- to go to seminary and become a pastor. And there was absolutely no resources for this kid to go to school. But the family was committed to a debt-free lifestyle. And so this, this young man is working all of these jobs and you know, because back in the day, you actually worked before you went to school and had a little money in the bank, and you didn't just go fill out your student loan forms. You actually had a little bit of money before you went to school. And then if you needed help with that, then you would supplement with student loans. Well, these, this couple watched this young man, even hired him to do some work for them so they could give him some money without embarrassing him. <clears throat> Felt the Lord put it on their heart to 
put him through seminary. And without telling him or anybody else, they wrote a check, one check, and sent that young man to seminary, and he became a pastor. And nobody ever knew who did it. Now, to me, I get chills now talking about it. I mean, that's awesome. That's beautiful. That's a gift. And they didn't walk around going, look what we did. Look what we did. I mean, they did simple, stupid, boring stuff that everybody else thought was so unsophisticated. And they get to do something cool like write one check and pay for a young man's four years of seminary. How awesome is that? Who would like to do something like that? This is a hairdresser and an electrician. Now, the only reason that I know this story is because the hairdresser was the sister of my grandmother who raised me. Now, here's two women who grew up on the same farm in rural Texas and went through the same Great Depression and went through the same periods of is there going to be food on the table and went through the same trauma and drama. And one of them grew up and said, I'm going to be conservative. I'm always going to save. I'm always going to start with a giving spirit, and I'm going to save, and then I'm going to live a very humble lifestyle, and I'm going to do the best I can with the limited means that I have before me. My grandmother, God bless her, grew up. These are the two, There were four sisters. Two of them married for love, fortunately, my grandmother and her sister. But my grandmother said, okay, my husband and my grandfather was a plumber, so these, are two, these two sisters kind of paired off because the other two married a, a doctor and, a, and an attorney. And they kind of paired off accordingly. <clears throat> but my grandmother married to the plumber, so in love with her plumber, but decided that always striving for a little bit more was going to be her ticket to happiness. And my grandmother, God bless her, and I don't say this to dishonor her, always struggled with credit card debt always, up until her last days. And she passed that on to my mother, and they passed that on to me. I mean, my mother didn't leave me because it was convenient. She left me because she was chasing some guy that she thought had some money. And if you can walk away from a six-year-old child because of money, you know, that's a, that's a disease. And they passed that on to me. Now, I wasn't going to leave my kids, but I sure was driving a car I couldn't afford and living in a house that I had no business living in. And I had to make a decision... I look at my three kids, and I think, oh, dear Jesus, no, over my dead body will I pass this on to them. And I'm not going to do a freedom ministry seminar with you guys this morning, but you all know what generational inequities are. And let me tell you something. If you don't fix the junk in your heart where your money is concerned, you will pass it on to your kids. Okay, I'm going to draw a couple of pictures here. Have I chased enough rabbits this morning? Now, here's where the pop quiz comes in, because one of you is going to get up here and is going to do this in my place. And let me tell you something. If your picture looks like mine, you get an F, and we're all going to mock and shame you. Okay? This is your financial house. Just work with me here. How many of you are visual learners? I can't remember what anybody says, I can't remember names, but give me a picture and I will carry it in my heart and water the seed. Every house needs a foundation. You're all in church. Who wants to tell me what the foundation of your financial house is? Your relationship with God. I'm not an artist, it's going to shock you. 
That's the foundation of your house. Big surprise. The floor, the next thing, when you're building a house, once you lay the foundation, what do you do next? The bottom, right? You don't start with the roof. That would be interesting. If you figure that out, let me know. The base of your house, you guys need to be drawing your own house. If you want a two-door, if you want a mansion, if you want a little Spanish bungalow, whatever, draw your house. I'm just going to tell you some of the elements that need to be in your house. You must have a foundation built on Christ. The base level of your house. Excuse me. Everything builds on contentment. It doesn't matter what you build if it's never good enough. Can I get an amen? It doesn't matter what you build if it's never good enough. It doesn't matter if you pay cash for your car if six months later that car is not good enough. It doesn't matter what kind of house you buy if six months later that house isn't good enough. Everything that you build in your financial life has to be based on a healthy relationship with Christ, knowing who you are in Christ, and being okay with it. Has anybody missed that? I've only said it 14 times. Okay. Now, everybody has basic needs. Everybody needs a place to live, right? Now, that can look like a million different things. That can be renting. That can be buying a small house. That can be buying a great big house. That can be living in an RV and driving around like an old man. I've always wanted to do that. That sounds so cool. I want a tiny little dog that can stand on the dashboard and some fuzzy dice And I want one of those stickers on the back, those big maps that every time you visit a state, I can't wait to get old. It's going to be awesome. Everybody needs transportation. You're not special. I mean, you know, you are, but you still have to get to places. Please don't walk around naked. Everybody needs to eat. Just don't make this, you know, like recreation. This is need, not recreation. I'm just saying. I'm a really good cook. Can you tell? I always tell people, you know, whenever we start to have a conversation about like, you know, I should lose some weight, my health. uh, I'm a really good cook. I need to move in the gifts God gave me, right? Okay, here's some other things over here. Education and your career. Again, if you want to be a missionary, God bless you. If you want to be a school teacher, God bless you. If you want to be a professor who teaches history, God bless you. You know what? Newsflash, you don't need $120,000 in student loan debt to do those things. Do what God's called you to do, but, but do it accordingly. Do it consistently. You can get out of school with no debt or with very, very, very little debt. It's possible. You've got to live some kind of a lifestyle, in terms of having some fun. That's an F there. Looks like an arm, but work with me here. You didn't come here for the art this morning, right? You're going to have some fun. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to have hobbies. These are all elements of your house, okay? I do more marriage counseling over guys who make $30,000 a year and have $50,000 annual golf hobbies. So don't, don't do that, okay? Fishing's pretty free, and it's fun. Okay, in the center of all this, you need to be saving. 
Do I need to tell anybody? I don't think I, you guys seem like a pretty smart, bright crowd. You've had a lot of coffee. What's the first thing you do with your money? You give. Okay, I'm going to write down a formula because you don't know this. You're all on my list this morning. You should know this already. What does that say? 101080. Okay, this is all you have to know about money for the rest of your life. And six minutes left, this is what I tell you. This is, if you know this, you will, be, you will succeed. If you make a million dollars, if you make $10,000, if you do this, you will be okay. You do what with the first 10%? You do what with the second 10%? And you do what with the last 80%? You live the very best life you can on the other 80%. People think, ooh, she's the stewardship pastor. She didn't have any fun. That's a lie. Courtney, hold up my purse. Look at my cute little purse. That's a coach bag, people. I like nice things. We went to Breckenridge last weekend. It was awesome. We paid cash for everything. I got that on the Coach Factory website for less than half price because I'm awesome. (laughs) We live the very best life we can on 80%, actually less than what we bring in. Not because we're smart, because we learned the hard way. So you got to, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to do this kind of stuff. It's okay to have a rec room in your basement with Pac-Man and Frogger or whatever you kids are into these days. (laughs) It's okay to have Beats by Dr. Dre headphones. It's okay to have an iPad mini when you already have the full-size iPad 2 and we all know you didn't need the mini. It's okay, you're not a bad person. You've got to have some room in here to have a little bit of fun. I didn't, wasn't going to die without the coach bag. I just wanted it, and I had the cash, and I bought it because I can. Because I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And I've got all my business over here taken care of. Don't make this harder than it is. Now, once you build your house, what do you need on top once you've built the frame of your house? Somebody say, awesome. All right. Now, there are three pieces to the roof. You know, they're multidimensional, but for our purposes, there's three pieces to your roof. This is the most boring word I'm going to say all morning, so forgive me. Insurance. I'm sorry. Once you get married and have kids, you need life insurance or you're stupid. If you're driving a car, you need really good car insurance or you're stupid. Last December 5th, on my way to church, I know you guys don't remember, but that was the first really big snow. It was yucky out there. I'm driving to church. We had a lot of media coming because it was the fifth anniversary of the shooting, and I was in charge of media for New Life Church. So I'm trying to get here a little early. I hit a little patchy patch on the way here. Didn't rock my world too much. Didn't hurt my car at all. But I pulled over on the side of the road just to kind of get my bearings because I was kind of freaking out a little bit because I'm from Texas and snow still scares me. While I am parked on the side of the road, I'm parked. Key's not even in the ignition. Some goober in a Jeep thinks he can go 60 miles an hour, hits the same patch of ice I do, goes into a spin, slams into my car. Mess me up. Now, fortunately, his insurance, they did the right thing. They took care of everything. But 
few years ago when I got hit on the way to church, I got hit by someone who had multiple DUIs, suspended driver's license, borrowed car with no insurance on it. You need to have good car insurance. Don't get cheap car insurance. Don't get cheap car insurance. Don't get cheap car insurance. You may remember the Joplin tornado? Y'all remember that? The Joplin, the Joplin tornado? Joplin, Missouri? Tornado came out, took out the town? Come on, compassionate Christian people. Do you remember that? All those people lost their homes? Do you know that 40% of the insurance companies in Joplin, Missouri filed bankruptcy right after that tornado? So if you got cut-rate homeowner's insurance and your home was destroyed in that tornado and your insurance company filed bankruptcy, what happened? Did your home get rebuilt? No, it did not. Please don't follow the lizard. Get your insurance with a company that your parent was around when your parents were buying insurance and preferably when your grandparents were buying insurance because they're going to be around when your grandkids are calling you up and say, Grandpa, David, um... I need car insurance. You will be able to say, you know what? I have this company. They've done right by me. Go with them. Don't buy cheap insurance. Life insurance, car insurance. If you're a renter, you need to have renter's insurance. All right, I won't talk about insurance anymore because I just lost three quarters of you. Okay, over here. Hard work. Oh, my goodness. This is a plague in the church right now because we think that it's God's job to bless us. And, and God does bless us, and I'm not saying he won't, but oh, my goodness, if God blesses you with a job, show up for it. Be there on time. I've done a lot of financial counseling in the last seven years that I've been a financial stewardship pastor. Five years of that was here. It was a gift, every single moment of it. But I cannot tell you how many broke people who had lost everything sat in my office and said, I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. I'm waiting for God to give me the job that he has for me. I don't want to get ahead of God. People don't spiritualize laziness. If God hasn't put the perfect job in your lap, Go lug groceries. Go check out at Lowe's. Go pump gas. Go do something until you know what the big thing is. Don't use your spiritual life as an excuse to sit at home and say, I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. Maybe he's waiting for you to get off the couch. I can say that now because I'm not a pastor. (laughs) All right. before I had to say, well, let's pray through that and just hope they would get it, you know, through the nice filter, but nah, they, they never do. So now when I see them in the grocery store, I'm like, you got a job yet? 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 All right, here's the last section of the roof. I know you can't read that. Healthy relationships. The number one thing you will do to ruin your financial life is to marry a crazy person. Don't marry a crazy person. They're out there. Maybe you're the crazy person. Let us help you. (laughs) Help is available. 
don't marry a crazy person because they come up to you after Mill Sunday School and say, the Lord has put you on my heart. You are the person for me, maybe. Unless God told you that, it may. If they're crazy, God's not saying that. There's two voices. They're listening to the wrong one. Please don't marry a crazy person. Now, I'd like to tell you that there's like five easy steps to recognizing a crazy person, but there's not. They conceal it very well. (sighs) How many of you have been friends with someone for like two years and like been hanging out with them and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and go, wow, there's a few kids shy in that 12-pack. Holy cow. I'm less surprised at the number of crazy people out there than I am how well they hide it. How do you do it? Oh, my goodness. Now, I'm not completely sane. I feel like, but I feel like my crazy's kind of out there. You know, I mean, people who know me go, man, she talks a lot. Wow, she's got a lot of energy. Holy cow, she's always doing something different. Holy, you know, just, um, oh, my goodness, you know. But at least it's out there and you know what you're getting, okay? So... Please be sure when you marry someone, you know all of their crazy. Because we all have it. Know what theirs is. I mean, how many of you in here would you consider yourself savers? Conservative, good with money, planners. Raise them high. Raise them high, savers. Be proud. Can I tell you something that's going to break your heart? And I know I'm running behind, but it's really good, so I'm going to keep going. Just give me this when I need to shut up. Let me tell you something that's going to break your heart if you're not already married. You're not going to marry a saver. You're not going to fall in love with a saver. It's not going to be the saver that makes you go out on a date and go, Jesus, 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 purity, purity, purity. It's just not going to happen that way. You are going to get hot, on fire, crazy in love with the girl who wants to order the lobster and wants the $50,000 fairy tale wedding. That's just how it works. God puts people together who don't go together. (laughs) Because God knows you're going to leave and you're going to do all the boring stuff that you heard from Amy Streeter and he needs a little bit of something out of you, you know. So how many of you are spenders? Yeah, spenders. Woohoo! Guess what? You're going to marry somebody who's cheap and is going to bring you down. (laughs) It's awesome. Number one thing we all know people get divorced about is it doesn't have to be that way. It says in Genesis, God united them and they are one. Once you get married, you are one. God doesn't look at us as Amy and Scott. He looks at us as Amy and Scott, all in word. So when I make a decision and I don't utilize my very wise husband, I'm only using half of my brain. You don't want me running around over-caffeinated, making decisions with half of my brain. So we set little, after we've made our mistakes, um, we now have learned from them, and we set things in place that help us not repeat those mistakes again. For example, when Amy wants something, which is frequently, (laughs) praise the Lord. If it's over a certain amount of what we decided that we're going to spend on things that aren't in the budget or that we haven't planned for, I pick up the phone. (gasps) 
she asks her husband for permission to spend money? No. I utilize the other half of my brain. I married this guy. I love him. Committed the Lord to spend the rest of my life with him. Why don't I lean on him every chance I get? I mean, that's smart. He does the same thing. And what that does is it honors him. It helps me, save me from myself. It makes our marriage stronger. It builds trust. Let me tell you something. Nothing erodes trust short of an affair. Like having to go to your husband and say, we have $80,000 in credit card debt. And I wasn't sneaking around. It's not that he didn't know. It's not that, you know. But my husband, he's a big enabler. Can I just say that? He's a sweetheart, but he doesn't know how to say no. He doesn't know how to say no to me. He doesn't know how to say no to our kids. I know how to say no to our kids. I got three boys. I can say no. (laughs) But so we know what our weaknesses are. He knows before he's like, oh, it's pretty, you want it, yes. He knows he has a responsibility to me to think it through and think long range for a future, what's the right choice, not just what's the easy thing to say right now. So while he's going, oh, what did you buy when I'm coming in with my Neiman Marcus bags, you know, he understood without me blaming him, because goodness knows if there was blame to go around, 100% of it went right here on my shoulders. But he was man enough to take responsibility and say, I didn't help her through this weak area of her life. It's, you know, I'm Amy Streeter, and I'm a shopaholic. I like to spend. I mean, that's kind of part of how I'm wired. And I'm lying to myself if I say, even with all the stuff that I've learned, and even though now I'm a professional financial coach, God's called me into the marketplace, which I think is wonderful, and, and I get paid just to sit down with people now and do financial coaching with them and sell houses. Um, but it's something that I'm probably always going to have to wrestle with. But I got a great guy who will listen to me, and he'll evaluate how bad I want it, can we wait, does it fit into the financial plan? And our finances are 10,000 times healthier than they were 10 years ago because he engages in that. And he's not the expert. I mean, I had a book come out two years ago called Your Money, God's Way. It was published by Thomas Nelson, the world's largest Christian publisher. Dave Ramsey endorsed my book. His name's on the front cover of my book. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I still lean on him for every single financial decision that we make because that's wisdom. So if you're married, please do that. When you get married, please do that. Don't marry a crazy person. Don't make money bigger than it is. Pray your socks off. Live a life that's consistent with your income. If you want to know if God's okay with you buying something, having something, changing your lifestyle in a certain way, look at your pay stub. Live within what he has provided for you and have the very most fun you can doing it. Make the boring choice. And you'll never have the opportunity to talk about how you paid off $100,000 in credit card debt. Thank you for your attention. I love you guys. I love this church. I love the Lord. Um, I hope you have a great day, and I hope you got something out of this. Thank you. Thanks, 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 Amy. I don't think anyone could have made boring seems so great and so godly. So that's, that's a great message. So everybody, you're dismissed. Next week, we'll continue this topic of God and money. We'll see you then. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.